Hey, good morning. Uh, good to see you guys this morning. Uh, welcome to New City. I am Keith Watson, lead pastor here, if we haven't met. Uh, I am so glad to have you guys with us this morning. Last week, we started uh, a new series in the book of Titus, uh, and we're going to pick back up in that this morning. Um, but before we get there, we're, gonna, we're in chapter 1 of Titus, just getting started. Um, this week, we'll start at verse 5. So if you have a Bible, if you want to turn there, great. We should have our passage um, on the screens this morning. But before we get started um, in verse 5, I, I want to back up and read the verses from last week just to, to help us remember what was going on and uh, give us some context uh, that we talked about last week. So we're going to start um, with verse 1 and talk about, just briefly, Paul's hope for the church. So Titus chapter 1, beginning in verse 1, Paul, a servant of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ, for the sake of the faith of God's elect and their knowledge of the truth, which accords with godliness, in hope of eternal life, which God, who never lies, promised before the ages began, and at the proper time manifested in his word through the preaching with which I have been entrusted by the command of God our Savior. To Titus, my true child in a common faith, grace and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Savior. Um, so, Paul is writing this letter to Titus and really through Titus to the church that was in Crete. We talked about that last week and the fact that this church in Crete was a very young church, um, likely three years old or, or maybe even less than that. We talked about how Crete was um, a very diverse island. Crete was an island, uh, a diversity of people who lived there, a diversity of religions, a diversity of cultures. And so for Paul, he recognized the dangers of that culture to these new believers. There was a great danger to them. And Paul wanted to make sure that these believers in this church in Crete remained anchored to the good news of Jesus Christ, that they did not get pulled away from who Jesus is uh, and what he has done for them in his life, death, and resurrection. He didn't want them to be pulled away by culture or pulled away um, by other religious beliefs. So last week, I, I closed out summarizing those first verses um, with what I think Paul was, was saying. And I, I, I did that something like this. Dear Titus and the believers who are in Crete, I'm writing because I want to help you grow in your faith in Jesus. I want to help you know fully the depth of the riches of the gospel of Jesus Christ. I want to see you believe the promises of God who, who does not lie. And I want to see you have a confident expectation in those promises, knowing that your God does not lie. I want to see the fruit of your faith and your, your hope in him overflow in godliness as you grow more and more and more to look like Jesus, the Jesus you know and love. Grace and peace to you from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Savior. 
That was Paul's introduction to the letter. And from that introduction and hope, Paul moves uh, really quickly into the body of the letter um, and sharing some instruction with Titus, who he has left there in Crete to help the church. So verse 5, look at verse 5 if you're there with me. This is why I left you in Crete, so that you might put what remained into order and appoint elders in every town as I directed you. Appoint elders in every town as I directed you. Crete needs elders, right? And so Paul jumps right into this with Titus. Finish what remains. Finish what remains, um, which includes especially appointing elders. Now, these aren't new instructions from Paul to Titus. These are, these are a reminder. This is a reminder. Finish what we talked about. Finish what remains as we have talked about it. Make sure, Titus, that you have elders appointed in every town. Now, we will talk next week more specifically about what elders are and some of the things that Paul says here about elders. Um, but, but, but briefly, just so that we know, um, essentially elders are, are spiritually mature men in the church who love and follow Jesus deeply and, and who personally believe the gospel of Jesus Christ. All of that stuff that we talked about last week about knowing deeply Jesus, loving, loving him, loving the gospel, knowing the gospel, understanding the gospel, all that we talked about in the, in the introduction, that's what an elder is in the church. Someone who knows Jesus, someone who loves Jesus, who understands the truth and the beauty of the gospel. And these elders oversee the church and help the members of the church to love and follow Jesus as they themselves love and follow Jesus. So Paul says, finish what was started, appoint elders like we have talked about. And he says, appoint elders in every town. Now I love this. Uh, the church, one church, singular, for the island of Crete. It was one church, but this one church was spread out over the entire island of Crete, right? Um, the island had many towns and even uh, some cities, right? Some were very small, some were larger. And they didn't have, like, I love our building, I really do. The more and more that we're in here, the more and more I love it. But the truth is that they didn't have a building like we have. So when we talk about church and we think of coming to a, a building, a particular place, that's not the way it was for them. They didn't have a building where everybody from the island of Crete came and gathered together and learned together. They were spread out over the entire uh, town. Small towns might have um, one place that they gathered. The larger towns and cities, they might have several places that they gathered. And the places that they gathered were homes. They gathered in homes of people who, 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 who were believers, who were a part of the church. Again, in a small town, there may only be one home. 
and probably they, they picked a home based on the size of the home, right? And so in a small town, you may only have a handful of believers who, who, who were learning and growing together, and, and they went to Bob's house, right? That's where they met, at Bob's house every week or, or three times a week or however many times it was. And in the larger towns and cities, there may be several homes that the church would gather in. These were house churches of this one larger church, the church on the island of Crete. Now, the primary place that discipleship happened, again, I love this. I love seeing how the the New Testament church functioned. Um, The primary place that they were, as we talked about last week, learning more about Jesus, growing in their knowledge, their deep personal knowledge, growing in their faith of of who he was, learning together what it means to walk with him, to, to live as Jesus lived, being shaped into the image of Jesus, that kind of discipleship. It did not happen again in a building like this through programs. I, I'm, I love our building. I'm not saying anything bad about it, not saying anything bad about programs, But it is a beautiful thing to me that they met in homes spread out all over the island. And it was in those homes, in these close personal relationships, that discipleship took place. It wasn't one person standing up before a group. Now listen, I'm not saying fire me next week. But I'm saying there is more. I'm saying that there is more than this. And listen, I I will even say it this way. There is more and it is better. There is more than this and it is far better than me standing before you and and, and being the one who is teaching. It's us together in Christ, learning in these homes, growing together in discipleship, learning to, to love him and learning what it looks like to follow him. I say this very regularly here. I love our su- Sunday mornings together. I love, especially when, when you guys are really singing together, I love the way that it sounds. I love it here in this building and the way that it just fills up this area right here, your voices do. I love that. I love your children, uh, especially those that I have come to know a little bit better, like the children from my missional community. A lot of them run up to me and want to give me a, a high five or whatever. I love that. I love seeing the kids on on Sunday morning. I love so much about what we do here as we gather together. There's great value in, in us worshiping God together, but there is great value in what we call missional communities. That's where the, the, the real discipleship takes place. Our missional communities are small groups of the church that meet all over the city of Macon. And we gather together, and what we'll talk about this week or, or whenever it is, we'll, we'll talk about what was preached on Sunday in the text. And, and we, we press one another to, to love Jesus more, to know Jesus more, to understand how the gospel applies to our life and how our life should be lived in light of the beautiful news of, of Jesus. In our missional communities, we pray together. 
In our missional communities, we, 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 we pray together, we encourage one another. I mean, there's a bit of that that can happen here on a Sunday morning, but nothing like it can happen in our missional communities. Personally, we know one another and we point one another to Jesus. We remind one another as we talk. In our missional communities, we remind one another of the gospel and we even warn one another to be careful not to stray. We serve one another in our missional community. And our missional communities together should be serving others outside, outside of the MC. MCs are really where the one another's of Scripture are lived out. That's why I love this picture of house churches. Again, I love our gathering together like this. But we can't, we can't live out the one another's of Scripture in this kind of an environment. That's why I love our missional communities. Like Crete, right, just to take this another step, like Crete, New City has elders. We have a plurality of elders, and our elders oversee our missional communities and shepherd alongside our missional community leaders. So, I could spend the rest of the morning talking about that, but we got to keep going. I am writing to you and the church, Paul is saying, to see the church grow in their faith and in their deep, personal, and intimate knowledge of the gospel and of Jesus himself. I am writing so that through this, this faith and, and, and the confident expectation in God by the church, I, I, I am writing so, so that all of this overflows in your godliness as you are being shaped more and more into the image of Jesus. Now, Titus, finish what was started. Finish what remains. Finish what we talked about. Appoint shepherds. Appoint elders for all of Crete. Now, why? Why becomes the question. Why did they need elders if they had these wonderful house churches where discipleship was happening and people were growing in their knowledge of Jesus and their love of him? Let's talk about the problem in Crete because Paul tells us the problem. Now, for some of you, this is going to drive you crazy, but we're fixing to skip some verses we're going to skip some verses, and, and, and 6 through 9, we're going to skip. We're going to come back to them next week, but, but here's why we're skipping. In my Bible and probably in yours, at the end of verse 5, there is a dash. There's a dash, and the reason that dash is there is because what happens with Paul is he is talking, as he's writing this letter, thinking and talking to Titus, um, he's writing, and he suddenly has an aside, right? It's like a parenthetical. It's like, let's put this in parentheses, right? I'm telling you to appoint these elders. Oh, by the way, don't forget what the qualifications for elder is. And so quickly he lists those out for Titus. And then, then he comes back in verse 10 to what, what he was saying before that dash. So let's read this together, verse 5, and then skipping down to verse 10. This is why I left you in Crete, so that you might put what remained in order and appoint elders in every town as I directed you. Verse 10 why? Because there are many who are insubordinate, empty talkers and deceivers, especially those of the circumcision party. They must be silenced, since they are upsetting whole families by teaching for shameful gain what they ought not to teach. 
One of the Cretans, a prophet of their own, said Cretans are always liars, evil beasts, lazy gluttons. Y'all, that is the, the culture that this church is in. So, so Paul is speaking of one of their prophets and their culture. This is a problem for the church. It would be a, a, a problem if the church were filled with the kind of people that he is talking about, liars, evil beasts, lazy gluttons. This testimony is true. Therefore, rebuke them sharply, that they may be sound in the faith, not devoting themselves to Jewish myths and the commands of people who turn away from the truth. To the pure, all things are pure, but to the defiled and unbelieving, nothing is pure. Both their minds and their consciences are defiled. They profess to know God, but they deny him by their deeds. They are detestable, disobedient, unfit for any good work. There is the problem in Crete. Here is why we need elders. Now, there's interesting wording here. Again, Paul says they are upsetting whole families. And we might read that really quickly and think that Paul is talking about like our, our nuclear family, right? Husband, wife, kids, that, that these people are upsetting families in that sense. Almost certainly because of the context here, what Paul has in mind is house churches, Paul is calling those house churches families, and I love that. I love that because we talk about it a lot here at New City. That's what we are. We're family. The gospel isn't just that we are are saved and one day our sins are forgiven, so one day we get to go to heaven. The gospel changes everything, and it changes our identity. We are now sons and daughters of the king. And we have a family that we belong to. And in Crete, in those house churches, those were pictures of the family. Each one its own family. And the families, the families were being divided. So finish what remains. Finish what remains and appoint elders because those families are being led astray by false teachers. So who were the false teachers? Verse 10 and verse 14 give us insight into the primary false teachers. For there are many, verse 10, who are insubordinate, empty talkers and deceivers. Listen, especially those of the circumcision party. Verse 13, this testimony is true. Therefore, rebuke them sharply that they may be sound in faith, not devoting themselves to Jewish myths and the commands of people who turn away from the truth. So primarily, these false teachers were in the church in Crete. They were Jews. They were Jews. This is, is, is not surprising because everywhere that Paul went, he had a problem um, between Christianity and the Jews. Uh, also, this isn't a surprise because likely the first people who started the church in Crete were people who had come to Jerusalem in Acts chapter 1 and Acts chapter 2. Um, remember the day of Pentecost when the Holy Spirit came with great power and, and the disciples were, were filled with the Holy Spirit. Peter stood up and he began to preach and on that day, 3,000 people heard the gospel proclaimed in the power of the Holy Spirit. 3,000 people heard it and believed, and the church got its start. Likely, this is some of the people who were there at Pentecost that started um, the church on Crete. 
So, so it was Jewish believers, those who had heard of Christianity and become a part of the church, who were causing the problems in the church. What were they teaching? What was the false teaching? Uh, verse 14 mentions Jewish myths and the commands of men, and we also heard circumcision party. So um, the false teaching, um, one, of those, one of those areas was legalism and the commands of man. Legalism and the commands of man. Um, there were Jews in the church. Y'all stick with me, okay? Because this, this has got a lot of relevant meaning for us today. There were, there, were, there were people in the church, these Jews, who were insisting that Christ followers also be law keepers. But Christ followers and law keepers. Paul called them members of the circumcision party. Now, this was a common problem for Paul and the other apostles as the church was getting its, its start. But I want you to hear me on this. This issue had already been resolved. And we see its resolution by the elders, by the apostles, by the disciples in Acts chapter 15. When Gentiles first began to believe, right, God was moving and Gentiles became believers. They were filled with the Holy Spirit and, and the Jews didn't know what to do with them. So there was discussion. Are they actually saved or do they have to become a Jew in order to be saved? Acts chapter 15, beginning in verse 5. But some believers who belonged to the party of the Pharisees rose up and said it is necessary to circumcise them and to order them to keep the law of Moses. The apostles and the elders were gathered together to consider the matter. And after there had been much debate, Peter stood up and said to them, Brothers, you know that in the early days God made a choice among you that by my mouth the Gentiles should hear the word of the gospel and believe. And God, who knows the heart, bore witness to them by giving the Holy Spirit just as he did to us. I'm going to pause right there because what Peter is saying is, guys, you know that God sent me to proclaim the gospel to the Gentiles. And you have heard the testimony that God knows, God knows their hearts, but you've heard the testimony that when they believed the gospel, they received the Holy Spirit just like we did. That's what he's saying. God, who knows the heart, bore witness to them by giving them the Holy Spirit just as he did to us. And he made no distinction between us and them, having cleansed their heart. How? By faith. Now, therefore, why are you putting God to the test by placing a yoke on the neck of the disciples that neither our fathers nor we have been able to bear? But we believe that we will be saved through the grace of the Lord Jesus, just as they will. And the assembly fell silent. The legalists said, yes, Jesus is, is great. You need Jesus. You should believe in Jesus. But you also need to do your part. The party of the circumcision said, yes, yes, Jesus is great. Now you have to be circumcised or you can't be one of us. Yes, Jesus is great, but you got to keep all of the Mosaic law or there's no way that you can be saved. 
You need to add all of these things to to Jesus in order to to really be his. They were demanding that the Gentiles be circumcised, that they keep the law, that that, that they keep the the dietary laws and and all of the Jewish holidays and all of the, the feasts and the festivals, all of the law of Moses. You see, Jesus wasn't enough for them. It was Jesus plus keeping the rules. It wasn't just the law of God, but it was also all of the laws and the rules that were given by the Pharisees and other religious leaders, those things even added to the law. Peter says, guys, you know that was an unbearable weight for our fathers. They couldn't do it. You know that we couldn't do it, and yet you were putting this burden on these Gentiles. You know. You know because God gave evidence through the Holy Spirit that it was through their faith in the gospel that they became children of God. Now, here's the thing, and I want you to hear me on this. We have churches who do the same thing. We have people around us who who are Christians. Um, I am am not doubting their salvation. I, I am doubting their understanding of the gospel. We have people who do the same thing today. All over our city this morning, I am not bashing anybody. It is just the truth. I am not saying that New City Church has everything figured out. We don't. We stumble, fumble, all of that stuff. I am saying this. There are churches today who preach a gospel of salvation, and then they add to it a long list of things that you should do and shouldn't do in order to be a Christian. We have churches doing the same thing that, that, that was happening in Crete. Jesus, yes, you need Jesus, but you can't be a Christian if you do this. You can't be a Christian if you do that. You can only be a Christian if you do these things. Your church, your church isn't a Christian church because they don't just sing the hymns. Your church isn't a Christian church because they don't have a piano and an organ. Because your pastor sometimes just wears a t-shirt. We can laugh about it, but y'all, I am telling you the truth. This, this This is the truth. And this is what was happening in Crete. You aren't a born-again Christian if you have not been been filled with the Holy Spirit and spoken in tongues. Sorry, my charismatic brothers and sisters. You aren't a Christian if you haven't been baptized, dunked, fully immersed, right? Sprinkle doesn't count, got to be immersed. I, I want you to hear me on this. Godliness is a big deal to God. Holiness and how we live as Christians is a big deal to God. Be holy, God says, for I am holy. So I don't want you to leave saying that doing and and not doing doesn't matter to God. It does matter to God, but it does not save you. I only heard one amen. That is not what makes us Christian. What makes us Christian was agreed upon by the apostles in the Jerusalem council, men who walked with Jesus. 
And after there had been much debate, Peter stood up and said to them, Brothers, you know that in the early days God made a choice among you that by my mouth the Gentiles should hear the word of the gospel and believe. And God, who knows their heart, bore witness that they were believers, that they were children of God by giving them the Holy Spirit just as he did to us apart from the law, apart from keeping the law, apart from keeping the feasts and the festivals. Believe the gospel. The truth is we can't keep the law. If we could keep the law, there would be no need for Jesus. What makes us Christians is Jesus. What makes us Christians is that we trust in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus and that alone. That that is what makes us Christians. Our faith in the work of Jesus, believing, trusting that Jesus did what we can never do for ourselves. That's what makes us Christians. We believe that Jesus did for us what we could never do for ourselves. He lived a life that is perfectly holy and righteous and pure. He kept every law that there was. He perfectly loved the Father, and he loved the people around him. Jesus was perfect. He lived the life that we can't live. He died the death that we deserve, the, the, the death that we deserve because of sin. He who was, was without sin became sin for us. He bore the wrath of God on the cross. God's penalty was poured out on him so that we would not have to endure that penalty. On the third day, he was raised from death, defeating death and sin and Satan. And the good news of the gospel is this, y'all. When, when, when we trust in his work and not in our own work, when we believe in that, when we cling to that, then our sins are forgiven. The very righteousness of Jesus is is imputed to us. It is granted to us. We become righteous as he was righteous in the eyes of God. Holy and righteous. When we trust in that, we are, are, are graciously, graciously made children of God. By grace, Paul would write to the Ephesians, by grace you are saved. By grace, unmerited free gift. You have not earned it. There is nothing that you have done to deserve it. By God's grace, a free gift to you. You are saved through your faith and trust in him. And this not of yourselves, it is a gift of God so that you might not boast about it. Godliness, doing the right things, does not make us Christian. Jesus makes us Christian through our faith. And Paul would say that as our faith in who he is and what he has done grows, and we see more and more who we are and who we ought to be, then we begin to grow in godliness. Right? It's through this faith. We talked about it last week. It's through this faith. It's through this faith that we are shaped more and more into the image of Jesus. Legalism makes us appear holy. Legalism makes us appear holy, but it leads us away from Jesus. It diminishes the beauty of the gospel and his work. Legalism, listen to me, is an attempt by us to be our own co-savior with Jesus. Think about that one for a minute. 
So we, like Crete, have to be aware of legalism and the false teachings of the legalists. Are you listening to me? Because I want to say one other important thing. Say amen if you're listening. We have to be careful of the legalists that lives in all of us. The legalist in us that says, I have been good, I have read my Bible, I have done really, really good things for you, God, better than all of those other people, you now owe me something. He doesn't. So there was legalism. The other is Jewish myths. Basically, there were people who came up with these weird, elaborate, crazy stories uh, in the church that were added to the Bible. Um, some of that might be like taking a name. So if you've read the Bible and you come to those places that just has a long list of names, genealogies, um, <laughs> unrelated. How many of you just skipped those? Amen. So, so what, what these people would do when they came to those genealogies would take a name that maybe had no history and there was nothing about them in the Bible and they would make up their own stories. And they would be these elaborate stories about these names that we knew nothing about. People who were virtually unknown in the Bible. They, they, they would create histories. They would create uh, theologies around these people. Um, stories of great heroism and miracles and all of this other stuff. There was seemingly no end, because there are a lot of names in the Bible that we just don't know a lot about. Seemingly no end to all of these stories. That's, that's what he was talking about. Numerology is another one in the Bible that is an example. Have you heard of numerology before? So there, are, um, there were then, there have always been people who, who look at all of the numbers spread out through, through the Bible um, and what those numbers symbolize, and they connect all of these numbers. I'm not saying that numbers aren't important right, years, whatever. I'm not saying it's unimportant, but, but people will connect all of these numbers and compare this number to that number and this number, and if you add this number and you add that number, then you come up with this number, and all of it uncovers a secret message from God. And here's what these numbers, because God would never just tell us. He's got to make it about numbers that we add up correctly and pick the right ones to uncover secret messages from God. Now, again, I'm not saying that numbers don't matter in the Bible. Here's really what I'm saying. By chasing those things, the church wasn't growing in their knowledge of the truth that Paul pointed to. They weren't growing in their knowledge and their trust, their deep faith, their personal relationship with Jesus Christ. They weren't growing in what the gospel really meant. They weren't pursuing Jesus because they were pursuing numbers. They weren't pursuing Jesus because they were pursuing these crazy stories about people that we know absolutely nothing about. Jesus was no longer the main thing. Some of you guys remember, you're old enough to remember the Left Behind series. Yes? Amen. I read every one of those books. And I wasn't even a reader. 
end times and end times prophecy. You know, that's another danger for us. Now, God tells us about the end times, so there are things that he wants us to know about the end times. So I am not saying that nothing about the end times matters, right? Definitely things that we should know. But some people get so wrapped up in the end times, and again, looking for all of these clues in the Bible, they, they, they stop pursuing Jesus in a personal and deep abiding relationship with him, and they get so wrapped up in the end times that they have forgotten Jesus and aren't even walking with him anymore. Jesus said he doesn't, didn't even know the date. He said no man knows the date. And yet I've seen people who, who devote much more of their lives to knowing these things about the end times than to knowing Jesus and help and administration and serving. You know what I'm talking about. The miraculous gifts. And I've been around people. I've been around. I've been around people who who have fallen so in love with the ecstatic experience that they've heard about, or maybe even even had at one time. That they they are always seeking the next experience, the next outpouring. And before you know it, you're seeking that instead of seeking Jesus. And you're looking for an experience and a feeling rather than Jesus himself. You're pursuing the gifts and not the giver of the gifts. I see churches doing this. I see churches who are hard uh, uh, toward, toward healing, right? Hard pursuing after healing, but not pursuing the healer himself. We could talk more. Modern mysticism where, where Jesus is a prophet and a good guy, but you really need to connect with your own inner God. The divine in you. If there is any divine in you, let me tell you, it's the Holy Spirit and it's because you trust Jesus. Otherwise, there is no divine in you. Here's how Paul describes the people who are, again, keeping it in context. What was happening is entire missional communities, I mean house churches, were being led away from pursuing Jesus to pursue these other things. Things that may be good. Things that may, in fact, be a blessing, right? Like, I am all for healing, and I believe it. I've seen it. I, I, am, I am all about the gifts of the Spirit. I believe in the gifts of the Spirit. I am not a cessationist. I do not believe any of that is more important than Jesus. I do believe that pursuing him is what we are called to do. I do believe that pursuing him is where we find our joy in abiding in him. I believe that's what shapes us into the image of Jesus. So, so, so Paul calls those people who are, are leading the, the house churches away from Jesus insubordinate, rebellious, rebellious to God, rebellious to the gospel. They are empty talkers. They're just babblers. They teach for shameful gain, just in it for the money and the power. They are evil. They are liars. Their minds and their consciences are defiled. They are unbelieving. They profess to know God, but their work and their life denies it completely. So the church was in danger. 
It was a threat to their growing together in the gospel, and it was these false teachers leading them away from Jesus. So what was Titus to do real quickly? Verse 11 says they must be silenced. Since they are upsetting whole families by teaching for shameful gain what they ought not to teach. This testimony is true, verse 13. Therefore, rebuke them sharply that they may be sound in the faith, not devoting themselves to Jewish myths and the commands of people who turn away from the truth. Stop them, Titus. You got to stop this from happening, Titus. The rebuke may sound sharp, but, but, but stop them. The, the, these whole families, the, the entire church is in danger because of this false teaching. Because the church is being led away from the gospel. It is important, Titus, that you keep the people focused on the gospel. It is important, New City Church that we not lose sight of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Stop them. Finish what you started. Part of the way that you stop them is to appoint elders in every town, men who will protect the church, shepherds to watch over the church. That's why I left you in Crete. Now, I want to share some things with you that I hope we leave with this morning. One of those that would be really, really easy to miss, I, I want us to see how amazing God is. Okay, here's what I mean by that. Think about God's amazing provision for the church. We take it for granted. We just take it for granted. This is what we do. This is God's provision. God, God knew his people. God knew the needs of his people. He knew that for them to maintain their faith in the gospel, they had come to him by faith, but to maintain the faith that they had in the gospel, to grow in their knowledge, in their understanding, in their walk with Jesus, they would need help. God knew that they could not do it alone. God knew that the church would be pulled in all directions because of the culture that they lived in. Y'all think our culture is bad. This was bad. God knew, God knew that they would be pulled, pulled away by other religions, pulled away even by the irreligious. And, and, and God was providing for his people. God gave us Jesus. That's a great provision. In, in my missional community, sometimes when we don't know the answer, we just say Jesus. Jesus, and we have one person, Chelsea's not here that I've seen this morning unless she's downstairs, she is our Jesus gal. When we come to a stop, she just says Jesus. God gave us Jesus, and it is a beautiful gift, the, the, the gift of salvation, the gift of forgiveness, but y'all, that is not the only gift. The gospel is amazing, and we need to keep focusing on the gospel and not lose sight of it and not lose sight of Jesus. But God also gave us the Holy Spirit to help with that. We as believers are indwelt by God himself, the Holy Spirit. And he convicts us, and he teaches us, and he reminds us of the word of God, and he helps us to be shaped more and more into the image of Jesus. But y'all, that's not all. Wait, there's more. 
gives us one another. And, and that's what we see in here. I talked about this last week. We are a fiercely independent people in our Western culture. And you think you don't need anybody. And that's a lie. God created you to need others. God created you this way. We see it in Adam and Eve. Adam, Adam, Adam was not complete on his own. He needed Eve to come alongside him. We need one another. And, and, and I hope that you see in here how God has provided for us through this family, through his church. There are men who are elders who love the church and who love Jesus. And none of our elders are perfect, and I lead the list in that. We are not perfect. We mess up. But I will say this of our elders. Our elders love Jesus, and our elders love you. And the desire of our elders is to see you walk with Jesus and to grow in your love and your relationship with Jesus. And like the elders in Crete, we want to stand up and protect this body from, from false gospels. We want to we protect you from, from drifting away because that's how it happens. It's never all at once. Like you don't wake up one day and say, you know what? I don't think it's Jesus anymore. I think it's Jesus plus circumcision. Honey, I'm going to make an appointment. It's a drift. And slowly but surely, we add a little bit of the law here and a little bit of the law there, and we say, well, you, you can't really be a Christian if this. Your elders, New City Church, want to guard you from that drift. We, we, we want to call you back to Jesus week after week after week. And if we don't, you will drift. We will drift. We will drift further and further away from him. So God, God is good in giving us elders who love Jesus and who love you. It's not just the elders. I'm going to tell you, our staff, our staff is not all elders. Our staff loves you. And our staff cares about the exact same thing that I'm saying about our elders. They want to see you love Jesus and walk with Jesus. They want to see your kids grow up to know Jesus and love him and walk with him. Here's another one. God gives us one another. Missional community. I love our missional community, and I made a deal with our missional community leader years ago, Stephen Brewer. When I come to missional community, I'm not the pastor. I don't want you looking to me for the answers. I don't want you to expect me to lead our missional community. I am just one of the members of this body. And my MC has always done that. And I love it so much. I can be there just like the rest of them. I can speak or I cannot speak. And sometimes they speak the gospel into me and sometimes I speak the gospel into them. One another. We are a gift to one another. God intended it to be that way. The way for us to grow, listen to me, you fiercely independent people who, who have no need of anyone because you can do it all on your own and you can listen to whatever you want to on the radio and you can find good. I listen to Tony Evans 36 times a week. I like Tony Evans. But you need a family. 
Because Tony Evans isn't going to stand in your face and say, brother, that was sinful. Because Tony Evans isn't going to stop you when you misunderstand what he said and you're drifting away from the gospel. He's not here to tell you that. But your family is. God created us for this family. So, let me shut up. Let, let me just close with this. Where, where, where are you in your Christian walk? Are you growing like we talked about last week in your faith and your knowledge of the gospel? Can you look at your life and say, you know what? Over the last three years, I see, I see my life being transformed. I see God at work in me, and I am becoming more godly. Not, not because I'm trying harder to keep the law and be saved, but because I spend time with Jesus, and I'm growing in my knowledge and my, my love for him and my, in my walk with him. Is that, is that you? Are you connected to God's people? I don't mean do you just come on Sundays two times a, a month, three times a month, and then you, you bail. I mean, are you connected with a family where people will speak into your life like we're talking about here? Where you can speak into the lives of others because I'm telling you, listen, we need you and you need us. Are you growing with a group of people in the gospel? Do you have a family? And listen, I, I, I'm going to tell you the truth. I want you to be here because I, 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 I love New City Church. And even though we have a ton of things that we don't do great, I do know this. We're going to point you to Jesus every single week. We're going to do it here, and we're doing it in our missional community. So I want you here. But I also recognize that not everybody is going to feel at home here. If it is not here, then find that place. Find that place. I'll even help you find that place. But that's what you were created for. And I'm telling you, if you're walking alone, you are, you are almost certainly going to drift away from God. God has been good to us, and part of that is us. Where are you? I said it, I said it last week. New year, fresh start. Let's do it together this year. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your goodness. Thank you for Jesus. Thank you that what, what, what we have talked about today is the truth of the gospel. It's not about our merit. It's not about how good that we've been. It's about Jesus. Father, I pray, I pray for myself as I pray for the rest of this family. We, we are independent. I know that. I am independent. Help us to see, God, that that's not what we were created for. Holy Spirit, convict us and move us closer to a family. Remind us, help us to live together in the gospel. In Jesus' name, amen.